You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Daniel Yelverton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to be up here. Uh, One thing that's going to be probably a little different is uh, I like to stand and I like to move around the stage. Uh, But a week ago, I hurt my knee and I might have some ligament damage, which is not very cool. Uh, I would love to say that I hurt my knee training for the strongest man competition and I was pulling, you know, a tractor or a fire truck or something like that. But I was playing Duck, Duck, Goose with my kids and on the trampoline, and there were some dry leaves, and one thing led to another, and so, uh, yeah, so we'll see. If I start walking around, there might be healing up on stage, and that's going to be pretty cool, too. Uh, so anyways, uh, if yeah, we haven't met, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. I see that you guys are being responsible and practicing social distancing today, so that's a really good thing. Uh, happy Labor Day to all of you today. Uh, also, uh, for all of these that are joining online, happy Labor Day to you as well. Um, so we have been uh, gathering for the past three weeks here uh, in our indoor services, and we've been started, we started a series called Return, and we called it Return because we were returning back to gathering. Uh, and it's it's interesting how when you're returning back to something, there's a change, there's a shift that happens, right? Uh, we have, uh, we're returning back from some of the things that we were used to, but in the meantime, we created almost like patterns, rhythms in our life. Things were different. Things are even different now. And so when we're returning back, it's always good to return and remember, return and and respond to what God has for us. And so we've been looking at that uh, over the last couple weeks. And sorry if I'm fuzzy here. Uh, we've been looking at, at the last couple weeks about what does it look like to return back to God, return back to the right rhythms that we have when it comes to spending time in Scripture, having that relationship with Jesus. And Pastor Phil has walked us through this this past few weeks, and if you've missed it, definitely check out uh, our website or our YouTube channel, and you can see uh, those sermons. But today, I-, I wanted to talk about returning to our purpose Because when any shift happens, when anything changes in our life, a lot of times that shakes us. It can shake our identity. It can can shape who we are. And in the midst of that, we can lose maybe our our sense of purpose. We can lose our sense of direction. And, And I want to talk, look in scriptures and look and see that we have actually been created intentionally. God has uniquely and wonderfully made each one of you. And he's made you on purpose with a purpose. There is a purpose and an intentionality in your life. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans, I, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope, to, give you, to prosper you and give you a future. It says in Psalms that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are God's workmanship, meaning God has created us, he's fashioned us. 
and he has created us for the good works that he's planned for us long ago. There is intentionality in our existence. There's intentionality in our life. And so I, uh, as I kind of have been processing this, it's very easy, I think, for us to miss the purpose of what things are, are they're supposed to be. Like, what is the intention of a particular item? And I think God as creator, he didn't just create us as like a, a blob, right? Or like, my, I feel like my son, when he puts together Play-Doh, a lot of times there's not a lot of intentionality in that. Like, he might put together something and be like, hey, it's an ashtray. And I'll be like, oh, well, I don't smoke, son, but thank you. You know, this is, this is what I made out of, out of Play-Doh. But, but God, when he formed us, he formed us with intentionality. And so as the creator, he, got, he gave us the opportunity to speak purpose into us. And so I think about other inventions, other things that people have created, and they got the opportunity to speak purpose into those inventions. So I have a picture of something, and I want you guys to tell me what that is for. Pizza. It's for pizza, right? What is it for in pizza? Uh, keeps the lid off. That's right. That's one of the reasons, and I didn't know the second one, but apparently when you're pulling off a slice of pizza, if you hold this, it makes sure that it doesn't pull all the toppings off the other slice of a pizza, and you don't touch the other slices of pizza, right? So that's part of the, and I didn't know that that was part of the purpose that that was created. All right, here's another one. Those little loops on shopping carts, what are those for? I know, I, I was the same way. I don't know either. Anybody know? Anybody have a guess? All right. What's that? Hold your bags. There you go. That's right. So this is what they're for. See, we learned something today, right? And that's really good stuff. All right. What about this, this picture of the oven drawer? What is the purpose of the oven drawer? It's a warmer. Okay. Now let's be honest. Who actually uses it a warmer? Yeah. Who uses it as storage? Yes, see, it was created for, to be a warmer, but we use it for something else. Its intended purpose was actually to warm the food, but instead we use it to store all of our pans, which I do the exact same thing. All right, here's our last one. What is that for? Is it just like a cool design for a backpack? Something to peer through if you're a little tiny person in there? What's that? Yeah, you strap, so what, what, I, what I found out is you, should, you can tie shoelaces around it and you can strap shoes when you're like backpacking or hiking or doing activities, you know. I can't really do that right now with the knee, but that's what that's for. It was created so it would hold shoes on the outside of a backpack. And I think what's really funny is that we'll use these things or not use these things for their intended purpose or their intended design. And God is just... Like that, and he created us. He created us with intentionality. He created us with purpose. But if we don't know what that is, we might miss out on what God has made us for. We will miss out on the opportunities that he has for us. And honestly, we might live a frustrating or dissatisfied life. So we see that purpose was found in the beginning. When Adam Adam and Eve were created, God breathed purpose into them, and it says this in Genesis 1, 27 through 28. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so God fashioned us to be like him, 
And when he did that, he told us, he gave us purpose in that moment. He said, then God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Govern it and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So in that, even immediately when God created man, he gave us purpose. He gave us purpose to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue and to rule and reign over the earth. So let's talk about that. What does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? I'm sure the guys are kind of perking up a little bit. All right, this sermon is getting really good, right? Right? There is physical implications to being fruitful and multiplying, right? It's, it's to grow families, right? It's to grow the human race. It's, it doesn't just stop with us. It is to grow and to expand uh, and, and place God's image all throughout his creation, However, it is not confined to just the physical applications of be fruitful and multiply. And I feel like, like most of you guys will probably shut off right now, but you'll go home and be like, you know what, Pastor Daniel had a really great sermon today. He had a really good application about being fruitful and multiplying. And so, yeah, anyways, that's for you guys. But, but it's not, doesn't, it doesn't have just physical impl- impl- implications, and I think that's a great thing because not everybody chooses to have children. Not everybody is able to have children. And I don't want to just kind of breeze over that because I know that's a very painful subject for so many. And the, and the road is so hard that you have to go to. But I want you to know that you are part of a family, whether you have children or not. That the family of God is one that receives all. And we love you and we want to walk with you in that. And there are people that maybe haven't had children yet. But we see in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 54, that uh, Isaiah is telling the barren woman to expand her tent, to make room for offspring. And because there is a spiritual implication to what God has commanded and the purpose that he has placed on them. And you know what's also really interesting? I've found about kids, and this is having two kids of my own, and some of this is kind of painful, is that the kids tend to resemble the parents, Right? Yeah, they look similar. I've found that my kids have similar characteristics and mannerisms that I have that uh, kind of make me feel really bad for my parents and the things that I put them through. But we begin to resemble. And so God not only made us in his likeness to resemble him, but he also gave us the opportunity to be fruitful and to multiply. So how do we know what God is really like, right? Because he's invisible, None of us have actually seen God, but because of Jesus, we get the chance to see the image of God and who God is really like. Colossians 1.15 and 1.19 says that this, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before everything, and he, uh, everything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. For God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ. All right, I can't sit down anymore. This is just not going to work, so we're just going to roll with it. It was so, so all of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. So when we see Christ, we see the Father. And so Jesus modeled what it looks like to be fruitful and to multiply. Although, you know, it's really interesting, and this is true with also the Apostle Paul, the two greatest contributors to our faith did not have physical children. However, they were able to fulfill their purpose to be fruitful and multiply. So what did Jesus model when it came to that? Matthew 28, 
18 through 20, and this is a very common, common scripture that we use. Jesus told his disciples, this is when he's getting ready to ascend. He says, all authority, uh, and uh, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So Jesus modeled multiplication by making disciples. Now, that's a term that we use a lot in church, but it's actually a term that's very rooted in the culture of Judaism, especially when it relates to their rabbi. So a rabbi is a teacher. Jesus was called the rabbi, so he was called a teacher. And teachers would always get disciples, and they would call disciples if they were really good teachers like the best pick of the disciple litter, for lack of a better term, right? And so they would get these disciples, and the disciples would follow these teachers. They would follow them when they eat. They would follow them into their homes. They would follow them when they teach. They would learn everything they could learn about not only what they were teaching, but how they did life, how they interacted with their family. There was a compliment The greatest compliment you could give a disciple in this time was that may the dust of your rabbi fall on you, meaning you're so close to your rabbi that even his dust will fall on you. And so when Jesus called his disciples, he called them to a life relationship. It wasn't him teaching on a platform like this. He spent time with his disciples. They traveled together. They talked together. They ate together. They they laughed together. Right? And when he called them, he called them with an invitation. He gave them a choice. And I think we have this same opportunity now. Now that Jesus ascended and now that Jesus has given us this great commission to go make disciples, we all have the same opportunity to choose the invitation to follow Jesus, to learn from him. This happened in Jesus' time and it happens even now. But Jesus, he didn't do a bait and switch when it came to following him. It was never promised an easy road. In fact, he promised the exact opposite. John 16, said that I have told you this, that you may have peace in me. Here on this world, you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He is already guaranteeing that we are going to have hard times. And he also didn't promise that it wasn't going to cost his disciples anything. When he was calling his disciples in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, it said, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to follow me, the invitation is extended. You must give up your own way. You must take up your cross a symbol of death, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you will save it. I think that's really easy for us to try to do, right? To hold on to our life, to try to maintain a semblance of control. So following Jesus was not easy. And following Jesus did not come without sacrifice. And I would say to us this morning, that if you're following Jesus and you're not finding yourself sacrificing very much in your life, I think it might be time to draw a little bit closer to Jesus, a little bit closer to the way that he lived and the way that he sacrificed. His love was shown in his ability and how far he was willing to sacrifice. And Jesus invited also many people to follow, but not everyone said yes. 
There were so many people that he invited to be in relationship with him, and they turned him down. And I think they turned him down for several reasons. Some just made excuses like, you know, hey, I need to go take care of some things. I need to finish my job. I need to work here. I need to be with my family for a little bit longer. I don't have time to be able to follow you. Some laughed at the notions, like the, uh, the Pharisees would laugh when Jesus would extend the invitation to follow them. They would rather go their own way. And some were also not willing to let go of what they had. You see, the cost was too great for them. And I think about the rich young ruler, right? We only hear about him as having the opportunity to follow Jesus, but he was not able and willing to let go of what he had. And I think we have similar issues and similar challenges when it comes to following Jesus. Sometimes we'll just make excuses, right? Like, we just don't have time to follow him. Like, I don't, uh, I have other plans right now. There's other things that I need to focus on right now. I, I just don't have the, the ability to follow Jesus right now. Or for some of us, we want control of our lives, and we want to determine how it's going and where we're going and what we want to accomplish. And there's this nagging doubt in our mind when it comes when Jesus extends that fall, the invitation to follow that says, if I truly let go of the wheel, I think my life is going to crash. And so we have a hard time releasing it and trusting in Jesus. And I think the other situation is true for us as well, that we are unwilling to let go of what we have you see, we have relationships that we, need to, that we want to hold on to. We have goals. We have dreams. We have ambitions of how, we, how our life is supposed to turn out. We have things that we want to do. And we, we're, we're, there's things that we're doing in our life that we know we shouldn't. But instead, we would rather hold on to those things than to let go and follow him. And I guess it always begs this question, right? Whenever, whenever we're asked to follow Jesus, is it really worth it? And that's okay to ask the question because the disciples had to weigh the options too. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to relinquish control? Is it worth it to have an open hand when it comes to everything that God has given to us? What will happen when we say yes? And I think Jesus sums it up amazingly here in John 10.10. He says that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus' purpose his purpose for you, his purpose for me, is that he would give us a rich and satisfying life. Think about that. A rich and satisfying life. I know that there's areas in my life that I have dissatisfaction. There are areas where I, there is lack. And it doesn't have to be monetary riches. But Jesus has come. When we, when we say yes to his invitation, he promises that he, his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. And I think that's amazing because a lot of times we think about following Jesus as only about heaven in the end game, right? Only about, oh, now I've said yes to Jesus, so I'm going to just spend eternity with him. And now all the rest of the stuff, the rest of my life, I can figure it out. And it's not like Plato. It's not like God just fashioned this together and said, all right, figure this out. I've got your eternity covered, but you just kind of work everything out while you're here. Now, Jesus promised a rich and satisfying life. So we are to be fruitful and to multiply. 
meaning we are to follow Jesus, allow him to live through us, and we are to help others do the same. We are to extend our family, not necessarily the physical family, even though that absolutely counts in this situation, but we are to extend and be active participants in the family of God. The second thing that we see in Genesis 1 is that we are to rule and reign and to subdue the earth. And when I say that, a lot of times that phrase feels like, not conflictive, but it feels like polarizing, right? That it feels really aggressive in some ways, like rule and reign and subdue the earth. And I think some of us are like, yeah, like the earth is terrible. Like we need to go rule and reign and like, you know, kick, kick some, yeah. And uh, and so we need to just like get rid of all the terrible stuff that's going on out here and rule and reign. And then I think others probably cringe at that sound because it's confrontational, right? Ugh, I don't like confrontation. So I don't know if I want to rule and reign and try to su- and subdue the earth, right? And I think the hard thing, and just like when it comes to making disciples and just like when it comes to following Jesus, the hard thing is that when Jesus talks about spiritual heavenly things, we always have to like break down our filter because we think about it from an earthly perspective, right? When I think about ruling and reigning and subduing the earth, I think about conquering, I think about power, I think about, you know, making what I think is right, the thing that actually happens, However, ruling and reigning in the kingdom of God looks very different than how the world operates. And Jesus even drew this comparison in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. This is when two of his disciples were asking Jesus secretly if they could rule with Jesus on his right hand and his left hand. And all the other ten disciples were really mad that they had the boldness to ask this question because they wanted the same thing. And so Jesus responds, but Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over people. The officials flaunt their authority over those under them, meaning the world views authority, views power, and views how things are in order differently. I love what it says in verse 20, but among you it will be different. Among you it will be different. Who wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become your slave or become last. For even the Son of Man, I mean, think about, the, think about this. We breeze over these verses because we read them often, but the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to serve. Even though everything was created by him and for him, he holds everything together. All authority has been given him to him. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus constantly was trying to teach the people, the Jews, and also uh, his disciples about what the kingdom of God actually looks like. And you'll see this in all of his parables. He'll say, the kingdom of God is like this. And that's a great time to pay attention because what Jesus is doing there is he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. This is what the rule and reign of God looks like. This is how uh, my heavenly father, your heavenly father operates. The kingdom of God is about loving and serving others. And Jesus modeled that perfectly in his life, but also in his death. Ruling and reigning and subduing the earth is not about taking power, but it's about leveraging it for others because the kingdom of God is all about people entering the kingdom of God. And the disciples and the Jewish leaders, they missed it because they were so focused on their kingdom. They were so focused on on the political climate that was going on in their world. 
that Rome was ruling over the Jewish people and they needed a savior that was going to come and take over Rome and usher in a golden age for Israel. And they missed it because it's so easy to focus on our own kingdoms. It's so easy to focus on our own political climate and miss the purpose that God is calling us to bring in his kingdom. What's happening now in our world? Are, are we missing it? Are we focusing on the wrong kingdom? And I'm not trying to pick sides. I'm not trying to do this kind of political jab. I'm not trying to say that you, then we don't participate because we should absolutely vote. We should absolutely participate in our responsibility to, uh, to steward our nation and our community. But if we're so fixated on our kingdom and our climate, we might miss the bigger kingdom at move, the bigger kingdom that's going on. So what's our purpose? If our purpose is to be fruitful and multiply and our purpose is to subdue the earth, our purpose is to go make disciples, then when it pertains to the kingdom of God, what's our role? What's our purpose? And I was trying to find a succinct way to do this, but I felt like 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 was great. And this is Paul's talking to the Corinthians about uh, what Christ has done for, this and for us. And he says, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, that's a purpose statement, God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world. Not a particular people group, a particular side, a particular nation. God was reconciling the world, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given us. All right, so if God is creator of all things and he has all power and authority and his chosen method for uh, expanding his kingdom for bringing people into relationship with him, to showing people, to showing the world what God is truly like, he chooses us. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal. So God's chosen way to appeal to humanity is us. He is speak, for we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Our role in the kingdom of God is we are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are in the business of reconciling people back to God. An ambassador is someone who represents the kingdom in a foreign land, and what they do is they show what that kingdom is like. Our purpose is to show our nation, our world, our community, our neighborhood, our sports team, our school, our workplace, who God is. We are to be stewards, ambassadors of reconciliation. That's amazing. That's what an amazing purpose that each of us have. So much bigger than anything we could ever want to dream about, accomplish. We are the chosen vessels of bringing people to God and showing God, showing others what God is actually like. 
And you know what's amazing when we have that focus is that we're not threatened by differences, right? Because if we're ambassadors of reconciliation, then what really matters is people coming back to God. So everything that we have or feel, could, be, could feel entitled to really should go secondary to that. Paul will tell us that in Philippians 2 when he says that we should have the mind of Christ, who even though he was made in the equality of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped and humbled himself as a servant. And so if we're not threatened by differences, then our lives may look a little bit like what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. Even though I am free, a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. That's the goal. So he's free, but now Paul is choosing to live in a way that will bring Christ's glory and many to Christ. So when I'm with the Jews, I, I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when, when I was uh, with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived like I was under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I know that this is not an attack on my identity. But you know what? I'm going to live under the law so that I can bring so that I could bring to Christ those under the law. And when I'm with a Gentile, I do not follow the Jewish laws. I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God, the law of Christ, meaning that you should love others the way that Christ loves you. And when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness because I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Man, like, wow. I try to find common ground with everyone because I want to see them come to Jesus. We miss this. Was that, Ashley? Yeah, I do too. Because we miss it. We do. We're, we're missing it because we're, we're focused and we're fixated on, on the wrong things. And you know what? That's, that happens. I'm not, this is not a condemnation thing at all. It's so easy to focus on the wrong things. It's so easy to get out of alignment. My car, it's very easy to get out of alignment, right? And it's good to just go back. It's good to go back and remind ourselves, right? But we don't need to be threatened by differences because we know what really matters, People being reconciled to Christ above all else. So as the band comes up, I just have a few questions for us when it comes to our purpose. Because I think when we live out of this purpose and this identity, Roman, the Roman Empire fell because people lived like this. The evil in this world crumbles when people live like this. The gates of hell are not able to be defensible at all because the offensive Christians, I mean offensive isn't on the offensive, the offensive Christians are totally fixated on the main purpose and our main calling in life, and that is to reconcile people back to God, to be fruitful and multiply, and teach others to do the same. It doesn't stop with me. It can't stop with me. Me speaking to you this morning can't stop with you. And so if we're to be fruitful and multiply and make disciples, the first question I have for you is, is who are you following? You know, Jesus said, you'll know that people will know you're my disciples by how you love other people. And we all get an opportunity to follow somebody, right? 
even if we're like, I'm a man, I'm on an island, I don't need to follow anybody, you know, you're still following somebody because another guy invented that before you. It's not anything new. So we're always following somebody, we're being influenced by somebody, right? So who are you following? And the great, the great indicator of that is what's the fruit of your life? Because if you're following Jesus, you're going to look like Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, then you're not going to look like Jesus. The next question is, who's following you? Jesus extended an invitation to follow. And I think what's great is that we have so many th- opportunities to leverage influence. Parents, you have opportunities to leverage influence with your kids. Coworkers, you have an opportunity. Employees, you have an opportunity to leverage your influence with your employees, with your employer. Students, you have an opportunity to leverage your influence at school. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and it terrifies me. But he says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul's saying, hey, watch me. Do we, can I honestly say that I want that? <laughs> Do I want you guys following me everywhere I go? There might be some things you don't want to see or I don't want to show you. But it's not because Paul is so bold. It's the fact that he knows that he's imitating Jesus. And if he's imitating Jesus, then as he's going through this whole process, he's going to be heading in the right direction. Second, third thing, who do you need to invite to be part of your life? Because Jesus invited people not so that he could teach them, he invited them to be a part of his life. And COVID has messed this up a little bit, guys. Hospitality is really hard right now. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, I know is putting people on your mind right now that they're saying that is someone that I want you to invite into your life. You have influence in them and they need you. You know, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, it can be translated as as you go, meaning as you do life, make disciples. As you go to the store, as you have friends over, as you go to work, as you gather people in your house, as you share a meal, make disciples. Show people who Jesus is like by the way you live. And the last question I have is whose kingdom are you fighting for? We need to show our world more than ever who God really is because everything else is going to so fall short of the hope that this world so desperately needs. Our world is clawing for peace and hope right now, and it is found in one person, and that is Jesus. So whose kingdom are we fighting for? Are we ambassadors of reconciliation or are we ambassadors of division? If the, if this, if the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy... Are we ambassadors of what he wants to do? Or are we ambassadors of reconciliation, meaning I'm a billboard, come back to God. Look at me, look at what God has done in my life. Look where I've been and look where I am now. Come back to God. We were created with purpose. We have a short window of opportunity to be a part of this purpose, to be a part of what God is doing. Let's mirror his character. We were created in his image. Let's be fruitful and multiply. Let's pour into people. Let's invest into people. Our families, yes, but the greater family of God, yes. And let's show the world what the kingdom of God is really like.
uh, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, and then we're going to close. And now, just as you have accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. This is not a one-time deal, guys. We, it, was never, it was never supposed to be that way. And if someone told you it's just a one-time choice and that's it, that's not true. Because as we've accepted Christ, we must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built off of him. Jesus talks about the foolish and the wise builder, and sorry, I'm tangenting, but that's okay, is that they both hear the word of God. They both hear it. And this morning, through the Spirit, not because I have anything great to say, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. And they both hear, the foolish and the wise builder, but the only the wise builder does something about it, changes the way he lives, builds his life off of something else. Let your lives be built on him. Let your faith grow strong in the truth that you were taught and overflow with conflict, bitterness, anger, wrath, uh, complaining. No. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I got moving now. Now the leg's feeling good. Thankfulness. If Would someone look at you and say, man, that guy is so thankful. Man, that girl's so thankful. I just see their life and no matter what they're going through right now there's something different we are ambassadors of an amazing kingdom God let us do this let me just quickly pray and then we're going to be done Lord Jesus help us with this help us in our unbelief help us when we fall short we know that we are being transformed from glory to glory but you have placed an amazing calling on every single one of us I'm not unique. Every single one of us has an amazing calling to be a part of your kingdom, to do something that lasts for eternity. I think of so many things I spend my time with that are gone by the day, but I get to do something when I join you, Jesus, that lasts for eternity. Let us throw off the weights that easily entangle us. Let us fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us run the race. Let us live in a way that reflects that you are good God and that you have torn heaven and earth apart to reconcile us back in relationship with you and that Jesus, you've called us to an abundant life, to a satisfying life. Let us live that. Let us believe that and let us let that overflow. And God, it took you three and a half years to try to teach 12 men how to do that, and they still got it wrong. So God, give us grace in the process. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.